0: The brain is a glucose-burning organ, as is, uh, preferentially, uh, the heart and the red blood cells. Welcome to the Be Rad Podcast, where we explore ways to pursue peak performance with passion throughout life, without taking ourselves too seriously. I'm Brad Kearns, New York Times best-selling author, former number 3 world-ranked professional triathlete, and Guinness World Record Masters athlete. I connect with experts in diet, fitness, and personal growth and deliver short breather shows where you get simple, actionable tips to improve your life right away. Let's explore beyond the hype, hacks, shortcuts, and sciency talk to laugh, have fun, and appreciate the journey. It's time to be rad. Hello, listeners. Happy 2023. Thank you so much for emailing me podcast at bradventures.com is the address and i will not rest until i cover all the questions but first i suppose i should give you a little update here in early 2023 i made it all the way to 2023 without getting covid and then on january 1st yeah got my first double stripe positive test Um, i'm not going to offer a bunch of reflections i think we talk about it too much Uh, But one thing I'll note is that uh, having to check out of normal, everyday, hectic, high-stress, modern life, uh, in this case, uh, a forced (laughs) sidelining, it's not a bad thing once in a while, you know? Uh, I enjoyed, I appreciated uh, sleeping a little extra, not having that urgency to get up and engage. Um, I broke my streak of, I think, right around six years, maybe more of performing my morning exercise routine every single day without fail. And so now I'm starting a new streak and we'll see how long it goes. Uh, What else? Oh, uh, my experiment that I've talked about a lot, the energy balance experiment to consume more calories, more carbohydrates, especially uh, trade in my historical morning fasting period for and early morning uh, feeding of huge bowl of fruit and giant protein smoothie that I've talked about so much over the past uh, nine months on the podcast. And I kept reporting that I had the same weight and same body composition. And then I think I gained a couple pounds finally, and I think it also was uh, triggered, prompted by my foot surgery on November seventeenth. So while I was remaining active and rehabbing and feeling great, doing things like strength training, and cycling i stop sprinting which has such a profound effect on body composition particularly to keep you uh, to get that uh, that final few pounds of excess body fat off and down to uh, the most appropriate racing weight for a sprinter uh, knowing that as i've talked about in detail on my shows covering sprinting uh, that the genetic signaling to uh, to reduce excess body fat is so profound with sprinting because the penalty is so profound for carrying around a little extra weight so i think even though i was cycling strength training doing my morning exercise routine that lack of high impact running sprinting caused me to add back a couple few pounds of extra body fat and so that was my opportunity for my first reflection on this somewhat out of control or over the top uh, effort to just throw down uh, as much food as I possibly could and kind of break free uh, from some of the regulatory behaviors that I've put into place to keep me in check, uh, such as, um, you know, trying to control my popcorn intake as I did uh, an entire show on that topic and control my dark chocolate consumption because I'm uh, have a penchant for consuming mass quantities so i put all that stuff on the sideline for 8 months and just ate whatever i want whenever i wanted and made that purposeful effort in the morning to uh, you know chow down a, a huge quantity of fruit and the huge protein smoothie so finally uh, the experiment resulted in adding a couple pounds of body fat from what i was carrying for a long time so it was extra food and then stopping sprinting and so uh, that was the reflection point where I said, you know, I don't have to go out of my way to go and look for extra calories as part of my science experiment. I can kind of settle into a behavior pattern where I'm honoring my natural cycles of appetite and satiety. And <laughs> in, in, uh, in concert with my illness, um, all of a sudden the uh, extra pounds of body fat are gone. So I guess you could say pulling back the reins a little bit, not going overboard, trying to eat more food. And then secondly, I should uh, convey my strategy. And whenever I have an illness minor or significant, uh, I try not to eat because I think the body can repair from illness faster when you're giving the digestive system a break and not uh, devoting energy to digesting food. So I ate very little food for many days while I was down with COVID and I contend That it helped me recover faster or lessen the severity of the illness i basically what i did was i'd fast for about 24 hours every day and then finally when i couldn't take it or um, just really wanted to get something to eat i'd have a really simple meal i think i ate steak or ground beef and sweet potatoes for several days in a row and that's about it Um, and so that's kind of uh, what i report as an effective strategy to deal with any illness especially like a minor cold coming on, where you start to get a little stuffy, a little heady, maybe a little bit of a scratchy throat. I will, and I've done this for years, stop eating at that point uh, when the minor symptoms occur and start you know, consuming a lot of water, making sure I'm getting my LMNT electrolytes. So I was bombing those throughout my uh, week uh, where I was down with COVID and seems like a prudent strategy to help the body kick into high gear with immune function. And as I talked about in detail on my two shows, uh, Is Brad Natty or Not? Part 1 and Part 2, I also try to uh, greatly minimize my consumption of any medications for pain relief or any relief uh, when I have an illness in the interest of healing more quickly, especially things like anti-inflammatories for Nagging aches and pains, I want to feel all that inflammation. I want to feel the effects of whatever condition I have um, to regulate my behavior for one, and also the, allow, allow the body's natural healing uh, mechanisms to take place. So my only uh, caveat to that is if I can't sleep or I'm in so much suffering that it's potentially or clearly affecting my ability to heal and get the rest and recovery I n- recovery I need to heal. That's when I will reach for the bottle. So during my uh, bout with COVID, I took uh, 1,000 Tylenol uh, one evening so I could sleep because I was just suffering so much I I couldn't sleep, terrible headache. And then I think I took a 500 dose the next day again uh, to try to sleep and get some rest. And that was it throughout the whole duration. And I was getting all kinds of uh, helpful advice from uh, people who had suffered before uh, offering up their concoctions of this and that medication, um, I would rather just, uh, you know, suffer in silence and uh, have the uh, the belief that I'm going to beat it more quickly when I don't tamp down all the symptoms in the interest of feeling more comfortable. It's just uh, not comfortable any way you slice it, and so I choose to go cowboy style, and works for me until further notice. As I said, okay. So there's my update for 2023, and then we jump into the questions. So most of these come from email. Some of them come from uh, comments on YouTube videos, and um, we're going to integrate those uh, when appropriate. So Jordan writes in from YouTube, hey, can you point me in the right direction to learn how to change my dog's diet? I have a one-year-old Frenchie, 28 pounds. I want to put him on a carnivore diet. Can I get away with uh, just feeding him nothing but raw hamburger, raw beef, and cooked chicken? And how much would I feed him a day? Uh, So great topic because uh, we have that, uh, I guess, um, controversy or different camps of uh, what's the best human diet. And these are loud and passionate uh, groups. Uh, People have dedicated their lives and their research and uh, high advocates of a plant-based diet where um, animal foods are... (laughs) apparently evil and promoting of uh, heart disease and all those kind of things. And then we have the very popular, uh, especially the recent emergence of the carnivore diet movement, uh, talking about the benefits of an animal-based diet to the extent of even eliminating many of the popular plant foods that are highly regarded for their nutritional benefits, but could be causing problems uh, due to their uh, presence of the natural plant toxins, gluten being the most uh, familiar one, but we also have phytates, oxalates, and things that are in Uh, high concentrations, especially when you're consuming plants in raw form, like with your salad, your kale smoothie, um, things of that nature. So it's interesting to uh, follow the debate back and forth, uh, do some experimenting, see what works for you. But when it comes to your pet, your dog, we are talking about a different species, which is a pure carnivore descending from wolves. And so it's difficult to dispute that a dog will... Uh, be best served to consume a completely carnivore diet. Uh, some of the experts recommend throwing in things uh, like some blueberries here and there, or some yogurt or some uh, sweet potatoes. Uh, but when we look at the mainstream approach to feeding dogs, it's been a huge disaster. And the domesticated animal suffers from all these conditions uh, that are you know, unique to humans and or their domesticated pets. So obesity and the uh, prevalence of cysts that you see in older dogs, um, these are largely driven by a disastrous diet that's especially harmful for a dog, uh, not to mention a human eating a lot of processed foods. So when you go and buy that big bag of kibble, maybe you can draw an analogy or imagine yourself living on uh, potato chips (laughs) every day, for your entire life. That is 100% processed foods that's not species appropriate. I'll link this show to a great article on Mark Stanley Apple uh, when he talked about a carnivore diet for uh, dogs and cats, but there's very little dispute. I talked about the the various human diet camps where there's a lot of dispute, but when it comes to feeding a dog, yeah, the ideal would be uh, raw meat. And the problem here is if you're beautiful little dog has been eating kibble for two years, five years, or eight years, um, there will be some difficulty in that dietary transition. I experienced that with my dog as I tried to move them uh, further and further into uh, a species-appropriate carnivore-style diet and away from the consumption of kibble that was the centerpiece prior to that. So um, there's all kinds of great resources that you can uh, plug into to try to get that dog transitioning but one year old great time to do it and looking at those things like uh, raw organs and raw beef that's going to be a big win overall and i guess the uh, layperson's advice here would be you know you can transition gradually so that your dog's digestive system has the time to adjust so um, if you're going from a kibble diet you start putting on um, some sardines or some lightly cooked beef on top and they're gonna love the heck out of it and your dog will probably guide you to the things that he or she prefers more than others and then you're on your way to a more species-appropriate diet good luck here comes another comment from youtube brad i can't stand the taste of liver no matter how hard i try to hide it i read about how you freeze it and eat the chunks is this cooked or raw when you pop the bites into the freezer so i take the raw liver and Uh, slice it up into little squares and then freeze it so it's raw. Um, It takes a while to thaw out so I can't just reach into the freezer and take a nice little liver square because they kind of you know bunch together in a frozen state but in a few minutes I'm able to kind of uh, uh, re-engage with the small bites and then I will salt those heavily per Dr. Paul Saladino recommendation and just put the the cube into my mouth and uh, chew it lightly, and it doesn't have that super strong taste of liver, nor the jello-y consistency that turn a lot of people off. Uh, it's also great to pan fry it lightly uh, in a cast-iron skillet where you can cut up a slice um, and you know sear it on both sides. Uh, the middle is still going to be pretty tender, and that's a good way to prepare liver. And then what I also do, besides eating those raw chunks is i will throw the chunks into the blender as part of my smoothie Um, the taste is pretty strong so you're going to have to use a lot of fruit and other flavoring so i put a lot of frozen fruit in there so it's not just a liver dominant taste uh, in the smoothie Uh, but all those ways work and as many of the experts are uh, conveying you don't have to consume a ton of it every day so i've seen recommendations to strive to consume around an ounce per liver of day, um, a few handful of ounces a week total, and that's gonna give you the incredible nutrient density of liver and all the wonderful benefits uh, without having it to be this huge centerpiece of your diet, especially if you find the taste unpleasant. No excuses, man, get your liver game going. And uh, my mom, who's listening to the show because she's doing the transcript, uh, remembers fondly her childhood, one of her favorite meals of cooking liver and onions, And she contends that anybody who uh, learns how to cook it properly and get some nice flavoring on there, especially with the fried onions, uh, it actually tastes pretty good. And so um, try cooking it to the point where you can say, hey, you know, this is a pretty pleasant taste. No complaints. I believe people will soak the liver in milk for a while to kind of take away some of the the stronger taste before pan frying it. Uh, But certainly it's not Um, it's not the demon it's made out to be in terms of this terrible thing that you have to choke down in the name of health, especially uh, when it's frozen raw little chunks. You cannot taste that liver taste. You just salt it up and pop it in your mouth. It's great. Uh, David De La Rosa writes in, Buenos dias. This is my concern. How do I feed myself during training racing for a long endurance event um, when I'm following uh, the, the protocol's In such books as Keto Reset Diet, uh, Primal Endurance, where um, the recommendation is to get fat adapted and have a lot of nutritious fats as the centerpiece of your diet and then minimize the consumption of processed carbohydrates, uh, which can be pretty harmful to endurance athletes, especially during exercise when the digestive tract is not well adapted to uh, processing, assimilating a lot of calories. But uh, we have a penchant for Uh, Sucking down those gels and eating those blocks, those cubes, or drinking a lot of calories in a powdered energy drink to get those carbs in the body to perform can uh, very easily and very commonly causes a lot of digestive distress. And so one way to uh, counteract that is to get better at burning fat where you don't need a ton of carbs while you're performing. And that happens through uh, appropriate endurance training, training at the right heart rates as well as uh, transitioning to a diet that's uh, minimizing these processed carbohydrates and this massive consumption of carbohydrates in general. So uh, thanks for the question. And when you're trying to perform, you do need an appropriate level of carbs, especially when you're going at uh, a race level where you're pushing your body hard and trying to, uh, trying to go quickly over the, whatever endurance course that you've chosen. Um, but I think we can do a great job just ditching the processed carbs and emphasizing the nutrient dense carbs, as I've talked about with my experiment. So endurance athletes out there should be uh, consuming a ton of fresh fruit and other nutritious, easy to digest carbs that work for them. So we do want to honor the um, the concerns about plant toxins that are shared by the carnivore, the animal based community and examining those uh, high risk categories that are roots, seeds, stems, and leaves. Those have the highest levels of plant toxins, especially when they are in raw form. And those toxins can be greatly neutralized when you soak, sprout, ferment, or cook. So if you're eating a raw spinach salad, spinach just has one of the highest oxalate levels of, uh, of any food, uh, can cause problems with kidneys, can co- cause problems with nutrient absorption. But when you uh, pan fry the spinach, saute the spinach, uh, you are neutralizing those toxins and making it much more easy to digest. So um, the, the game here as an endurance athlete is to get good at digesting and assimilating the calories you need for performance. And some of that might be um, straight sugar or those sugar type products. Uh, but through training, you can get much better at that uh, and that 's kind of I think the forgotten message when uh, a lot of endurance athletes are out there uh, mixing and matching and trying a different product and seeing this one agrees with their stomach, or maybe the blueberry flavor agrees with their stomach more than the <laughs> than the strawberry. And I think a lot of those concerns and those stomach sensitivities that are so common in the endurance scene can be mitigated by getting in better shape. So that would be my um, cheeky answer to David's question, is you just keep training, uh, keep working at it, and ingesting the calories you need, and of course experimenting with uh, different types of calories, um, things like dried fruit. <laughs> they, were, they were the go-to uh, substance whatever, 40 years ago before the advent of anything like a power bar or an energy gel, and now it seems like uh, we're coming full circle to realize that um, the natural products like a dried fruit might be more agreeable than the high tech designer supplements, but it's all personal and, and uh, requiring a lot of experimentation out there. Okay. Um, so Brenna writes in to comment specifically on my interview with champion American female middle long distance runner Shelby Houlihan and the doping violation that she uh, sustained a couple years ago and is serving a four-year ban knocking her out of the major championship meets and it was a pretty um, heartbreaking story due to the uh, the many circumstances involved that seemed like she was getting a raw deal and perhaps getting an extremely severe penalty here in the prime of her career uh, by questionable, uh, questionable means like lack of due process in the legal case and then the fact that she tested positive for a very trace amount of a performance-enhancing drug that's on the ban list, but an amount that is uh, agreed not to confer a performance advantage, if you get what I'm saying. I mean, I think that's the strongest part of her case was that she wasn't busted, quote-unquote, with a whole bunch of shit running through her bloodstream that was confirmed to make her a superhuman athlete that can go and break records. It was more like a you know microscopic amount the testing is so sophisticated these days that if you come up uh, you can come up positive for uh something that's you know a, a very very trace amount that can be uh ingested by a, a number of means where the athlete might not even know uh, how it got in there and unfortunately uh that was the um the tough part of Shelby's case where she told the truth she said i have no idea what happened here and so she had to go on a guessing game of her own to mount a defense because the burden of proof is on the athlete when you get a positive test in other words you have to say this positive test came because i took this tainted supplement which if you test you will find has trace amounts of a banned substance and i'm sorry i took it and i apologize and then if you can prove that it was because you took this banned supplement they will greatly lessen your sentence or let you off. In Shelby's case, she went with the uh, now infamous uh, pig burrito defense. So she uh, contended that she ingested some tainted meat from a, uh, a Mexican food truck where she went after practice the day before she delivered the uh, the urine sample that got her into trouble. And that was proven to be um, a, a poor defense. So her, her case was basically... Um, beaten to heck by the doping authorities in court where they said, no, this is so improbable as to be uh, nonexistent, non-existent odds that you actually ingested this trace amount of nandrolone from the pig burrito. So that was her legal team, I would say, in my personal opinion, screwing up and not offering a very strong defense, um, which possibly uh, leads me to believe her story even more where she has no freaking idea how this substance got into her, into her, um, into her body and mounted a, a poor defense because they were struggling and reaching at straws to say something because you have to say something. You can't just lie down and say, gee, I don't know, uh, or you get your four-year ban. <sighs> but anyway, Brenna says, look, um, your defense, Brad, it boils down to, quote, why would she risk doping if she's number one? Um, so I'm not going to accept you putting those words in my mouth. That's not at all what I said. But if I conveyed that somehow, um, I'm sorry, because it's sort of like um, uh, it's logic that doesn't belong in the in the story. Why would she risk doping if she's number one? Well, a lot of people risk doping if they're number one, so they can get to number one or stay to number one. And uh, Brenna points out correctly, many athletes dope to get to number one. So again, I completely challenge that um i meant that thought that or conveyed that but anyway that's how it came off so i'm sorry and going on with brenna it's completely believable that an athlete would dope to get there and stay there yes of course it is uh it also looks like you neglected to mention brad some important research about the case ross tucker has provided a really strong theory of what this positive test could be from um and nearly everyone has acknowledged that nandrolone can give athletes a performance advantage have you read tucker's article Thank you very much. Yes, I have. It was outstanding. It was extremely lengthy. I've also listened to him talk for an hour on podcasts. And that's kind of what I alluded to at the start was that her defense, Shelby's defense, was totally botched and was highly ridiculed, deservedly so. So they pretty much proved that um, the chances of getting a trace amount of nandrolone from a pig burrito was uh, non-existent. I will point out in... in. Uh, in support of Shelby, that uh, the due process that was not there during her case um, was pretty rough when we're all familiar with, uh, or at least uh, have a a sense of familiarity with our legal rights. When we get caught doing something wrong, we usually have the chance to (laughs) engage with the prosecution and figure out what they're going to say, be prepared, uh, all that kind of thing. And that that really was um, sort of draconian the way they they treat these athletes when they get a positive test. Um, one thing uh, that occurs me to, to reiterate here was that um, she tested positive for a trace amount versus a performance enhancing amount and this part is really one of the big challenges in the doping system. Uh, this goes back to the days with Mark Sisson when he was head of the anti-doping uh, commission for the uh, sport of triathlon Um, There was one athlete that tested positive for um, an opiate and it was traced back to eating a poppy seed bagel with the trace amount occurring on the poppy seeds. And it was like, uh, I think that athlete got off um, showing that you could consume a poppy seed bagel and potentially test positive for the opiate in question. And um, in Ross Tucker's uh, analysis here, um, he contends or, or proposes the idea that the type of nandrolone that or the amount and the chemical makeup of the nandrolone uh, could have been ingested from taking a uh, a precursor type of supplement so this would be something that is banned because it's a hormone precursor it helps you make the hormone one good example is DHEA is a precursor to the sex hormone. so uh, taking DHEA, you can go buy it in a uh, on Amazon. You can buy it from uh, a, a vitamin store, and it's over the counter, legal, all those kind of things. But I believe it's banned for the uh, uh, the Olympic uh, athletes because it's a precursor to helping you make more testosterone. And so, um, as one of the points made in the lengthy Tucker article is that um, someone testing positive for this isotopic signature of minus 23.8, to get a little technical here, um, Houlihan's signature of her positive test was very close. So it was similar to what you would get from uh, consuming a precursor, which puts a little bit of suspicion on the athlete uh, taking something that they're not supposed to. But again, when we're talking about trace amounts, I feel like someone needs to swoop in. If it's me and they, they call me, I will be happy to do it. Um, someone needs to swoop in with common sense uh, when it comes to this uh, punishment and testing system that's taking place in major sports. And we're talking about real people, real athletes destroying their lives, turning them upside down um, from lack of due process and a uh, a questionable correlation between the offense and the punishment. So if she had really bad luck, Shelby, and delivered a positive test, okay how about you ban her for four months or something that really sucks because she did miss the world championships when she first came up with her positive tests but four years is a similar ban to uh, the many athletes in the endurance sports that have been uh, cold blood pu- busted for having elevated levels of EPO or uh, testing positive for the drug EPO which confers a massive performance advantage And it is flat out disgraceful cheating where if you dope up sufficiently, you will uh, blow away world-class competition due to the chemically enhanced body of you running around the track with a hematocrit level of 53 or whatever a a EPO enhanced athlete can get up to and get a a noted, confirmed 6% advantage in endurance performance. So if you take 6% off the winning time A gold medal in the 10,000 meters in the Olympics—the person's going to be lapping the (laughs) some of the best athletes in the world. Um, That's a disgrace, and we need to get rid of all that type of behavior in sports, where these desperate athletes will cheat their asses off. And um, boy, what a huge difference from someone who um, tests positive for a trace amount, seems believable, and goes onto a, a YouTube video and says, "Look." Um, I love running, I love competing fairly, I don't know how this got into my body, I'm distraught, I'm upset, I don't know what to do. It was highly believable, to me anyway, but hey, as I admitted, I'm pretty gullible because I believe the liver king and I also believed Lance Armstrong. (laughs) Um, But let me just finish this uh, with uh, Ross Tucker's very uh, measured and thoughtful presentation. He says, we must remember that standard of proof for the athlete is on the balance of probability, which means can't just say i promise it was an accident she has to provide explanations that are more probable than their non-occurrence and she absolutely didn't do that and that's why her 4-year ban stood it's a rough story and i do look forward to seeing shelby back on the track when her suspension is over next david from spain all right thank you for listening to the podcast in spain which is gracias uh, i've been reading and listening for a long time but i've never sent you an email After following a keto diet, since I read the Keto Reset Diet, and then a carnivore diet after reading Dr. Saladino and Dr. Baker's books, I started to question things. Um, Now, with your uh, series of podcasts on the energy balance ideals, uh, things are getting even more clear or uh, maybe confusing. (laughs) I'm 50 years old. I'm very active. I do full contact karate. I'm doing the shift-adapt breathing protocols from Brian McKenzie, former podcast guest. I do things like um, CrossFit WODs. I like running. I participate once or twice a year in endurance competitions like a Spartan race or a trail marathon. Um, I chose carnivore because I thought it would be ideal for me to help me with injuries, recovery, stress, and my experience has been mostly positive, but my sleep sucks. It also may be due to an electrical imbalance um, because I've suffered a couple uh, muscle tears Uh, calf and hamstring in recent times. And as you mentioned, um, my carnivore regime is so strict that I tend to uh, break the diet every 10 to 15 days, binging on cookies and junk food. Um, So after listening to your shows, I started to include more fruit and um, eat to satiety so that my cravings were reduced, which um, has been a big help. I also want to make sure that I'm keeping my fat-burning capacity, even if I add in more fruit. Um, So I'm wondering, when I add in more carbs and perhaps some of the other easy-to-digest plants from the carnivore scores chart, is this going to adversely affect my fat-burning? Okay, good question. Thank you. I hope you guys followed. So he's went, you know, full heavy into a carnivore-style diet. pursuing all those vaunted benefits, but he's also uh, performing his butt off and being very active and obviously burning a lot of carbohydrates with a regimen as is described. So um, let's establish here that when you have good metabolic health, that equals metabolic flexibility. You're going to be able to burn whatever sources of energy you need to thrive and adding carbs back to your diet is not going to adversely affect your status as a fat burner. Furthermore, if you listen to my shows with Jay Feldman, he will have uh, that very uh, sort of uh, um, mind-bending observation that maybe this obsession with being a uh, priority fat burner is uh, misplaced. And the difference in the NAD to NAD plus ratio, as he described, he got into the, the science a bit, but it effectively, uh, the, the message there was that um, carbohydrates burn uh, more efficiently with less oxidative stress than fat, and that fat is sort of the survival mode for the human. And if we had the chance or we had the option, um, Jay argues that we want to prioritize Burning carbohydrates or giving our body sufficient carbohydrates to be able to burn what we need rather than have to kick over into emergency type metabolism with uh, making ketones in the extreme example or trying hard through uh, strategies like fasting to be a prioritized fat burner. Uh, Now, I asked Jay this uh, as a follow up question because there is that known advantage uh, when you're performing in endurance sports to get more efficient with fat burning so you can last longer without tapping into your glycogen stores so you can compete or, or train at a faster pace while still uh, burning predominantly fat and so he acknowledged that that's different than um, what we're striving to to uh, operate on at rest and at rest we want to be metabolically flexible so that if uh, God forbid we have a hot fudge Sunday. It's not going to ruin the rest of our evening passed out on the couch from that sugar bomb. No, we should be able to gracefully uh, ingest something like that, even though it's not going to be that graceful, because um, when we uh, ingest uh, processed nutrient deficient food, it's going to interfere with our body's ability to manufacture cellular energy internally. So there is no call ever to consume processed food or junk food, especially for an athlete, a fitness enthusiast. But when you're consuming nutritious sources of carbohydrates and giving yourself enough to be in the somewhere on the spectrum of uh, burning fat and burning carbs efficiently in different cells throughout the body. And that's another important point when we obsess about fat burning is that uh, certain uh, parts of the body uh, need to burn glucose. The brain being the most prominent one uh the brain is the most energy ravenous organ in the body it burns 20 percent of our total calories and it burns almost entirely glucose unless you get into that extreme metabolic state of ketone burning through extended fasting starvation Uh, consuming an exogenous ketone product would be another example but generally the brain is a glucose burning organ as is uh, preferentially uh, the heart and the red blood cells so Um, At times when we're burning fat in the muscles, for example, at rest, when we don't have a high muscular demand, we're burning fat in some uh, cells of the body and we're burning burning glucose in other areas of the body. So it should blow the lid off this kind of black and white thinking or this uh, anxiety that we might be harboring about compromising our skills and our status in the fat burning club if we start to add some more uh, well-deserved fruit back into the diet Um, I also I'm gonna just throw in a random comment here uh, that that comes to mind from uh, Lane Norton he's a popular figure in the health healthy eating uh, strength training bodybuilding scene PhD scientist and he contends that our health problems uh, mainly boil down to energy toxicity eating too much too much food in, in general and he's not even that concerned with the, uh, the nature of the, uh, the, the bad food that we're eating. So uh, whether it's sugar, he wasn't even that concerned about seed oils. Uh, so he's kind of stepping out with this really compelling message where uh, the main thing we need to concern ourselves with is uh, burning more energy, exercising more, moving more, and eating less overall food. Otherwise we're going to be in trouble and have uh, adverse metabolic health consequences. And I kind of like that simple take that before we start splitting hairs, just take a look at your lifestyle and see if you can move more throughout the day. Dr. Gabrielle Lyon calls this uh, concept uh, muscle-centric medicine. So if you build your muscle and work on your muscle and strive to maintain lean muscle strength throughout life, that is going to largely take care of your metabolic health in in a far superior manner to jumping from one restrictive diet to the next and so forth. So yeah, take a deep breath, realize we all uh, probably can benefit from moving more um, and consuming more protein in order order to support uh, that development and maintenance of lean muscle tissue. And then when it comes to processed foods, whatever they are, obviously processed fats and processed carbohydrates are both terrible and will mess up your body's ability to burn cellular energy internally. So that's your metabolic health and your metabolic flexibility, eating nutritious foods, moving around a lot, exercising appropriately, and not getting uh, too, too bogged down on the details accordingly. So good news, you don't have to obsessively restrict carbohydrates to be a good fat burner. That's just not true, especially if you're uh, active You can get yourself into trouble with the stacking of the assorted stressors of uh, high performance exercise and restrictive diets. Stacking those together can be a recipe for trouble and a recipe for turning down your metabolic function as a compensation to a high performance lifestyle with insufficient energy coming in, in the form of nutritious calories, including carbs. Okay, Um, that was that part of the question, but there's a little bit more. David from Spain. He deserves the floor. He's from that far away. He traveled this far to send his question. <laughs> okay. Uh, I also have some doubts about my training approach. Um, the shift adapt protocol that I'm following is practically all of its high intensity. Um, and so I'm realizing that my kind of diet, this animal-based diet where I'm restricting carbs, my martial arts, uh, my workouts that are uh, following the shift adapt, shift adapt that happen to be at high intensity. I also have a family, a job. <laughs> Things can be very stressful. Do you think that switching the tempo runs and the intervals uh, with a, a, a less stressful uh, mafetone style heart rate run and then uh, keeping the CrossFit wads here and there, would that be a better combination in order to reduce stress? Absolutely. I think a lot of the devoted Uh, fitness enthusiasts in whatever camp, it might be endurance uh, scene, might be the CrossFit scene, but basically we're loading up uh, too much stress at a typical workout. So we have a lot of workouts that are in that medium to hard zone that are difficult to recover from and that potentially and very frequently inhibit our progress because they're a little bit too hard uh, Frequently, several days a week where you're going a little bit too hard, pushing yourself a little hard. You're coming around with recurrent muscle soreness, lingering muscle soreness. And I'm guilty of one of those parties because um, frequently my sprint workouts turned out to be a little bit too hard. I didn't know it at the time, but the lingering muscle soreness afterward lasting for two or three days, that was a sign essentially that I would say Uh, I screwed up a little bit. And if I could just dial it back one notch or two notches to not prompt that muscle soreness again and again, uh, my development would be smoother without those setbacks and increased injury risk that happens when you push your body a tiny bit too hard. So uh, a lot of people (laughs) need the recommendation, the suggestion to get up off the couch and exercise more, especially there's a whole segment of the fitness population that is going to the gym, uh, getting on the, the, the Stairmaster or the bicycle and watching TV for 40 minutes, uh, exercising at a comfortable heart rate. And that is the essence of their fitness program. So there's a lot of people in the fitness community that deserve to push their bodies really to the, to the near maximum effort uh, now and then in order to prompt the greatest fitness gains. So we want the cardio crowd to push it once in a while. Uh, we want the inactive sedentary crowd to at least get up and walk around the block and start on a fitness related lifestyle and then we want the extreme fitness enthusiasts who are doing all kinds of stuff uh, as you might see in a typical crossfit session or in an ambitious group exercise class where the instructor's taking you through a lot of challenging work there are a lot of people in this category that are simply over stressing the body when you look at the big picture the chronic nature of their exercise patterns and so Uh, that population would be better served to dial back the degree of difficulty on the vast majority of their workouts. Yes, indeed, once in a while, you can open up the throttle. You might call that a competition. So when the weekend uh, event comes that you've been pointing for, whether it's a CrossFit Games qualifying or the big celebration uh, on Saturday at the gym where people are going to try to set their PRs on various CrossFit challenges, or it's an endurance event, um, open up the throttle, The gun goes off, forget about your heart rate, whatever, and uh, go to town and and try to beat your best time. Uh, But in general, for so many of those workouts that are level 7.5 or level 8.2 on a scale of one to 10, take those down to five or six, and you are going to progress without interruption from those little aches and pains and nicks and setbacks and fatigue and hormonal suppression and immune suppression that occur When those workouts creep into that zone, that's a little bit too difficult. So all told, over there in Spain, eat more nutritious, fresh carbohydrate foods and tone down uh, a good bit of your workouts to make sure that they don't overstress you. Okay, there wasn't a ton of topics, but I think there were some important big picture topics for all of us to reflect upon, especially the time I spent talking about my update and my further reflections on my eating experiment. So with that, thank you for listening to the Q&A show. Please participate. We'd love to hear from you. Even if you don't have a specific question, you can uh, provide your feedback on the the material and the questions that come in. But I'd love to hear from you what's going on, comments, feedback. We read and evaluate everything. And I appreciate being on this journey with you so much. So thanks for listening and more coming in the Q&A category soon, along with fantastic interview guests and the new style of breather show that we are debuting in 2023 where it truly is a breather show down there in a short duration for those time periods when you don't have a lot of time to listen to a podcast now you can plug into a breather show and mix and match with the longer interview shows or the shows that i host that will go for a longer period of time <sighs> thank you Thank you so much for listening to the Be Rad Podcast. We appreciate all feedback and suggestions. Email podcast at bradventures.com and visit bradkearns.com to download five free ebooks and learn some great long cuts to a longer life, how to optimize testosterone naturally, become a dark chocolate connoisseur, and transition to a barefoot and minimalist shoe lifestyle.